Hi, and welcome to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. Every week we watch a movie and sit down here to talk about it. I'm Mel. I'm Katie. And we're your hosts. This week, for Halloween, we watched The Cabin in the Woods, directed by Drew Goddard and released in 2012. Now, the plot for The Cabin in the Woods, you're going to be shocked by this, is about five college students who go away for a weekend at a remote cabin in the woods where they get more than they bargained for. Yes. Well, yes, that's the non-spoiler plot. Now, if you haven't seen Cabin in the Woods, do not listen to this episode. I'm telling you right now, don't listen to this episode. Go away and watch the movie and come back. Because if you watch Cabin in the Woods spoiled, then it won't be nearly as much fun. Knowing our listener base, I'm pretty sure most people have seen it, but yes. So, okay, Cabin in the Woods is one of my top five favorite movies of all time. Melissa is not a horror movie fan. No. Not that I consider Cabin in the Woods a horror movie by any traditional standards. It was stressful like a horror movie. (laughs) Stressful to watch. I don't find it stressful at all. I also don't find it scary at all. Like, even the first time I saw it, a couple of the jump scares kind of got me. But in general, I found it completely unscary, which I think is also different to some other people. Well, it must be nice to go through life so anxiety-free. However... I don't I don't like horror movies in general. And then yesterday, when we opened up Netflix to watch this, Katie's like, why have you rated this three? Yes. And um, it went downhill from there. But uh, yeah, I don't, I find it stressful to watch. Uh, this, of, if I have to watch a horror movie, I'll pick this one because it's self-aware and meta and funny and the script is good and the actors are better than average and it's reasonably good fun. Like it is really silly over the top horror. But it's still like, even though I know it's silly and over the top, I still am not the biggest fan of jump scares and zombies and all that blood. See, okay. Firstly, the blood doesn't bother me. Also, we're both Tarantino fans, so it surprises me that blood could bother you. Um, it's an entirely different con- – no, it actually doesn't really. It but does, it's, it, like- um, it's just an entirely different context. I think the violence I – I know, right? I can get into Tarantino. I just don't like horror and I don't like being scared. And yeah, it's not, I'm, it's, yeah, it's more, it's the jump scares more than the gore and the creatures. The, I can sort of appreciate those. I'm those, not the biggest fan in the world of jump scares, although, I mean, there's only how you do few. horror without them. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I, 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 cause I like, I like interesting horror. I like good horror. I like things like, uh, Halloween, which is all like creepy building kind of scares and things like that. I'm, I'm actually quite like, a number of horror movies. Um, I wouldn't say it's one of my favorite genres, but I also will seek out horror movies and enjoy many of them, yeah. so whereas I, you won't. No. So. Well, yeah, I think when I saw this at the movies, it was my first time seeing a horror film at the movies okay. in 2012 when I was 30 years old. <laughs> so that will tell you something about my background. And also when I saw this again last night for this episode, having watched um, – Evil Dead, which we watched for last year's Halloween episode, I was a whole lot more appreciative of the I, I many, many of, references. Yeah, I got, I understood a few more references. I think we've done a few, a couple of horror movies while we've been doing the podcast. So I've been, you know, pushing myself a little bit to watch them. Yeah. Okay. So um, Cabin in the Woods, basically, yes, five teenagers do go to the Cabin in the Woods. But when you first start watching the movie, a lot of people thought they were in the wrong cinema when they sat down to watch the movie because of the uh, opening scene having nothing to do with the five teenagers who go to the Cabin in the Woods. Yes. Um, Which is the uh, secret underground bunker where they perform experiments on, well, not so much perform experiments, it's a ritual Ritual that they have to do every year, but they've sort of, um, what's the word? 
businessified. What's that uh, word? Oh, it's it's very um, bureaucratized. It's like it's, you basically open with these men who with short sleeve shirts and ties on. The Bradley Whitford businessmen. You know, public, yeah, but like, you know what I mean though, like civil servant type. People. Yes, yeah, that's what I mean. Like when I say the short sleeve shirts and a tie, that's kind of it's good gives you this idea of someone who's very like middle management or low you know like they're not important people and they have this little job which is very important to them and they work in a big bureaucracy and that's how it opens yeah those guys and amy acker so that's um hadley and citizen who are played by names yeah hadley and citizen um so citizen is richard jenkins and hadley is bradley whitford who is one of my favorites in the whole movie he's just he's he balances this kind of that particular role so well because he's so funny like that it keeps him from being despicable a lot of the time even though his actions are frequently despicable yeah which is what the which is why that whole underground ritual place is so funny because it's turned this ritual sacrifice to the ancients into this really boring corporate world where people bet and they've just like sort of detached from the the horror of what they do yeah which is why i think this movie doesn't scare me because it isn't a horror movie what this is is us watching people make a horror movie and like deconstruct all of the elements of a horror movie and lay them out in front of us right and that's what they're doing. This is us watching people and we are in this case the old gods that they are making ritual sacrifices to Mm. Okay, so that's that we're they're kind of the stand-in for the audience. So when they do things like they want the girl to um, show her breasts because the yeah. old gods like it, which is the slutty one has to die first, and the slutty one has yeah. But that's that's a metaphor for what horror movie audiences do, mm-hmm. and it's also kind of a satire. But it's also yeah, it's also kind of calling people out on all of that sort of thing. Yeah. So the I, people yeah. who go to see it, who think it's going to be an ordinary horror movie, will get something more than they bargained for. And this is one of the reasons why I don't really consider it a horror movie so much as like a. a deconstruction of horror movies yeah but i still they... have to put up with like gross things coming out of graves and job scares so to me it's a horror movie but it is like obviously it's a deconstruction of the genre and that's why i will put up with this there's also a really really good um effort put into making these kids likable like a lot of the horror movies now all the kids are jerks yeah or they're like two-dimensional characters, but this one specifically goes out of its way in the first scene to set up all of the characters as a certain type of person, mm. um, which is more than one type of person. Like they show you the virgin is the main character, right, Dana? And they show you her dancing around in her underwear, packing up in her underwear, and then they show that she's putting books in her bag, uh, school books, textbooks. So she's smart, she's studious, she is a scholar, and she is also a hot girl. A hot girl. But not just a hot girl, like she's somebody who isn't shy about her sexuality, Mm -hmm. right? And she's had an affair with her professor. I don't know if it's an affair. She had a relationship with her professor. Yeah. So you set up all of these things that mean that she's not the thing that they make her be. Yeah. Well, they, um, and they yes. do that with everybody. And um, Kurt the, is not just a dumb jock. He's also smart and he gives her in, information on, you know, his college classes and everybody is kind of, they show um, yeah. and the, Holden the, catching a football yes. and he's supposed to be the scholar. So everything is like. Well, they also show, yeah, like he, the first you see of him, he's like taking his shirt off and it's all abs. And then he, he gains a pair of glasses later on. You're like, oh, he's meant to be the smart one. Well, no, I mean, he is. Yeah. He's smart as well. Right, like he—he's yeah, because they're not. All of I know them, what but, they're doing. Yeah, yeah, but and and the whole dumb, the dumb slutty blonde 
they had to like work really hard to make her that way. The people who were controlling the whole thing have had to cause cognitive impairment with her hair dye and mm. like add pheromones to the food and then they had to make her boyfriend act like a jerk. Yeah. And um one of the things that I really like about to get it, what they wanted. Which it shares with a movie called The Faculty. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's a pretty great That one I have, Kevin Williamson. Yeah. It's a pretty I great will... horror movie. This is the truth about me and movies in general, but for me and horror movies, I will go along to anything if I like the writer. You should um check out have you seen the new Fright Night? With the David one, Tennant? The anti- yeah. No. Right, because that's written by um Marnie Noxon. Marnie Noxon. Uh, faculty um also has this thing where the drugs are like helpful to the teenagers, so it's kind of subver- subversive, mm. and they do that in this one. So um Marty, who is like one of my favorite people ever, smokes a lot of weed, and it actually insulates him from the drugs that they're trying to pump into his system. Yeah, it keeps him lucid, which is kind of hilarious. Yeah, you know, it keeps him lucid to a certain degree. To a certain degree, he's also going. You should make out with that moose over there. We're <laughs> <laughs> all like. That's not a moose. And he's like, that mysterious animal. It's clearly a wolf. (laughs) I like that gag. And I really like all of the characters, except maybe I think Holden was a little underdeveloped. But apart from him, I like all of the characters. They're all kind of interesting and great. Dana really becomes a fighter over the course of the movie. And I like that she and Marty are the last ones standing. There's something really nice about that. He's the fool and she's the... The virgin. Um, the virgin and yeah, I like that. Too. They're kind of battling evil together. There's also this moment that I noticed in this viewing that I hadn't noticed before that made me like Marty even more, which is like I noticed it before, but it didn't hit me before, which is Dana goes to shoot Marty, right? Because he has At to die end. before her in order for the sacrifice to the ritual to be completed. Yep. So she's about to shoot him and she gets attacked by a werewolf mm. and then he shoots the werewolf and saves her after he was a, she was about to kill him. Yes. Strong character there. I thought that was nice. Yes. I'm also really glad that Patience got to kill the director because Patience didn't get a kill before that. Yeah. And I was just rooting for her. Patience is one of the zombies, by the way. Yes. She is a zombie, torture, redneck zombie. Redneck torture zombie Redneck torture zombie. I don't know. She's one of the redneck torture zombie family. Yes. With her arm cut off. They've got a name, don't they? The Buckners. The Buckners, yeah. yeah. She reads it out in the diary at the, when they're yeah, so they go with all the they send, stuff. They send them into the basement. And based on the objects in the basement, they choose, choose, they don't know they're choosing what will attack them in the cabin. Yeah. And the uh, the people in the, whatever it's called, the scarocracy, uh, have lay bets on what animal is going to come out first or what, what creature is going yeah. to attack them. So And Bradley people- Whitford's character is all about the merman. So, of course, he gets a beautifully ironic death at the end at the hands of a merman. Yes, with the blood spurting yeah. out of its blowhole. And, so yeah. great. Uh, um, but, yeah, th- there's been heaps of people who have done analysis of the board, the whiteboard. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have some stuff. We're going to reblog like crazy on Tumblr this week because I have piles of stuff. Yes. Um, but at least one of them has all the um, things. And there's one that I just reblogged while I was watching the movie, actually, how I reblogged this, which is all of the, the monsters on the board and a movie that you can see them in. Oh. A horror movie that you can see them in, which is really neat. Yes. I plan to make my way through that soon. There's some references in the movie that are probably not something that you might have picked up on, but there's some really, really Lord good no. things. There's a shot of one of the Buckners coming up out of the water that's out of Friday the 13th. Oh, actually, the shot of them, I, I do know, the one reference I do know is when they're driving up to the cabin and we have this helicopter shot. That yeah. is it, the Shining reference. 
okay. also the blood in the hallway. But um, yeah, and there's there's the twins on the board as well. I've watched The Shining because I had to at film school. We did. Yeah, it, we the did Shining it. is again not something that I would consider. A, it's more like a thriller, like a psychological yeah. thriller than well, a horror movie. It was scary enough, and it was certainly like I did not look forward to that week. And then we had to although do this, it is Stephen, King, we had to so do all these horror. classes about how people enjoy being scared, and it's good for us, and it makes us what you know it it's it's about catharsis and i'm like eh, i kept fine like i don't enjoy being scared this is not fun for me but anyway maybe people with like psychologically healthy upbringings do enjoy being scared i don't know i i, I don't know i just think it's different for each person yeah i, I know, know a number of people who hate horror movies yeah i know three people in my close circle of friends who will not watch horror movies at all i, I mean i particularly love i like interesting horror movies that are more spooky or creepy or like something that kind of has a good build up and things i don't really like the trend of jump scares although the conjuring had a lot of jump scares and it was really quite good mm. um i think you can do it well but at the same yeah. time i think the best horror movies are ones that don't depend on jump scares yeah. there's a couple if all you've like got this. is jump scares then you've got insidious too and you're just not doing well mm. i have a couple of horror movies on my list i mean to see because basically the only horror movies i've seen are the ones that deconstruct the genre of horror movies and scream is also yeah another one i've I love seen scream. again i like the writer it's that's another is that another kevin williams i think so yeah yeah um, I, I went through a bit of a phase in the 90s. Yeah, so I, I do have a couple on this. The Babadook, the Australian one, which is has like a 95% Rotten Tomatoes rating. That My review of that is my most viewed review ever. We d- digress from Cabin in the Woods, but it's the Halloween episode, so we get to talk about scary movies, and that's kind of well, fun. The, but that's also like the point of, of Cabin in the Woods is to make you think about what about scary movies and how we feel about them and what we want mm. from them and whether or not that's cool and whether or not like it's okay to judge people by these tropes and that people are more than this and that we're simplifying them and that we're sexualizing them. Like there's so much in this movie mm. that it says about all these other horror movies. Like everything that sort of people have written essays about this movie does as a movie and i don't understand how anybody can think it's bad or hate it i just don't don't hate it i just don't find it very much fun to watch i don't find any horror fun to watch yeah i mean i'm talking more about the people who give it zero stars and are like it's dumb and i'm like it's it's the opposite of dumb i'm not sure that it has zero stars anywhere but no 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 i mean yeah if you go into rotten tomatoes and like read the user reviews or there's at least a couple of people on rotten tomatoes who are like it thinks it's smart but it's not and i'm like but it is there's so much more in here every time i watch it i see something else in here there's all these little touches like she picks up a knife and they shock her so that she'll drop the knife because in horror movies you see it all the time that people will pick up a weapon and then dump the weapon and you're like you're in a horror movie (laughs) don't dump the weapon and then well also um chris hemsworth's character says okay everybody we have to stay together that's the most important thing and they're like no no we can't have that and so they actually send through gas that makes him change his mind and say no wait the best thing to do is split up (laughs) in order that they can split them up and therefore more easily kill them and then marty's really (laughs) yeah (laughs) marty's the only one who's thinking straight but marty is just so funny i am the master of my own brain i'm gonna go for a walk yeah (laughs) Which leads to one of the best jump scares of the whole movie, where Marty is standing there just facing camera, smoking peeing, a joint. But no, he's peeing. Is he? Yeah. All oh, right. He's you hear outside. it. And you, it, oh, okay. Yeah, anyway. And behind him, you see the zombie sneaking up on him, sneak up, sneak up, sneak up. And you're like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And then out of nowhere, Chris Hemsworth bangs in from the side and he's like, oh my God. Yeah. And then, yeah, he, he drags Marty into Other the house the, and he the, punches, he punches patience. And he's like, he calls her an undead bitch or something yeah. like that. <laughs> 
It's just really like anyway. And then, you know, right after that they have this great moment where Dana's like, I'm not leaving without Jules and Jules's head comes in <laughs> and they threw the head around and Yeah. But the, th- the other you thing is you don't have so any horror at all until like half an hour into this movie. Like the first sort of half hour is really nothing gross in it. Yeah. It's just kind of fun and it's very funny. There's a lot of really good jokes in the first half hour. And then the middle half hour is like a traditional horror movie and then the last half hour is like Gronguignol, crazy blood everywhere, nightmare monsters all over the place, which is my favourite part of the movie because I just sit there every time and try to look at different monsters and see different things in the movie. It's pretty Um, cool. Because they've got all these screens going with all these different monsters and it's just Mm. so much fun. It's It's so much fun. Yeah, so bloody and crazy and people die in these beautiful and creative ways. By the way, if you're wondering what Grand Guignol means, we linked it in last week's show notes. Did we? We used a couple of like real filmy terms last week, like diegetic and um, Grand Guignol. So I linked definitions in the show notes if ah. you are keen. And then Sigourney Weaver. So when I say last surprise. week, I mean two weeks ago. <laughs> yes. And then, yeah, we have the surprise casting of S- Sigourney Weaver as the director. Which was kept really secret, which was really good. Um, oh, was it? There's a couple of things I want to say about this making this sat movie. sat on the shelf too. for like three years, didn't it? It was made in 2009. Yeah, before Chris Hemsworth um, got big. I mean, literally and figuratively. Yeah. Well, he's still pretty. I mean, he's already bigger than everybody he's else. Tall, but you know. but he's not, he hasn't got Thor arms yet. No. So before he, um, before he was famous, really famous, this was the same year as Star Trek, actually. So they made it and it sat on the shelf. The original um, people, the original studio who made it went bankrupt. Huh. It finally got sold to Lionsgate, I guess. Mm. And they decided to do a 3D conversion. Oh, no. Fortunately, I've never had to watch this movie in 3D because I'm sure it's terrible. (sighs) But um, they did a 3D conversion and that's why it took three years after this movie was made to come out. It does not take three years to convert a movie to 3D. No, no, no. It took a couple of years for them to buy it. Oh, right. Right? So it was. Okay. It took a couple of years where the company was going bankrupt, they couldn't put it out, then somebody else was bidding on it and they bought it and then they converted it to 3D. So it took a while for them to convert it to 3D, but it also took a while for them to pick it up. Yeah. And so this So it could have come out in yeah. like 2011. It came out in 2012 finally. And then it didn't come out here. It didn't, like, it wasn't going to come out here. It was only through a concerted fan campaign. Yeah, which means in Australia. In Australia. By the way. Yeah. It was only through a convert. Uh, uh, a concerted, concerted fan, fan campaign, campaign um, effort to actually get it to come out here. Mm. And we were incredibly lucky to get it in Canberra in one cinema yeah, for the, two weeks. We actually haven't talked about how this is a Whedonverse movie directed by Drew Goddard, but written by Joss Whedon. And Drew Goddard also directed a lot of Buffy episodes yeah. and wrote a lot of Buffy Who, episodes. If you're, yeah, if and you're Angel in, and, uh, wait, he wrote. If you're familiar with the Whedonverse, you'll know who Drew Goddard is. Yes. He wrote for, I think he wrote for Firefly and Buffy and maybe Dollhouse, but he's he's a very talented guy as well. Yeah, and it, and the script in this is amazing. That's why it's really fun. Like, there's no dumb dialogue here. It's all very self-aware and funny and sharp. And Bradley Whitford gets to use some of his West Wing skills with like these snappy one-liners. Yeah, and throwaway lines that are hilarious that you don't even you might miss. I know I missed a whole bunch of lines that I heard you repeating, and I was like, "Oh right, yeah, that's yeah." Some of them do get lost a little bit, and you rewatch, and you're like, "There's a great line in there." <laughs> so, um, I and and then Amy Acker plays Lynn, okay, Doctor Lynn, and there's Truman, who's the guy who's and supposed she's to... kind of like has a bit of a conscience about what she does. I don't know. I think she's worse. 
Why? Because she's in some pretends ways pretends to have a conscience. Yeah, she does. She pretends to have a conscience, but she's actually like more concerned with getting the job done than even they are. Like they have some fun with it, but also like Hadley has a whole kind of monologue bit where he's like, "You really feel for this girl. She has gone through a lot, and she's still fighting." And then the tequila comes in. He does the tequila is my lady bit. <laughs> my favorite but like I, I love how you have like 10 bits of this movie that are your favorite yeah. and because there is <laughs> a bit true. though that is genuinely my favorite which is chris hemsworth lining up on a motorbike to jump across a gorge he like gives it all he's got and he, he jumps- has a heroic bit before that he has yeah. a heroic speech before yeah. it too. I i'm gonna it get the choppers they're gonna come in and then they're gonna kill these bastards oh yeah and then he's so great yeah, sorry you were telling the story and yeah and so there's this gorge. They can't get out through the tunnel that got them into the woods. They But there is a giant gorge and there's a motorbike and Chris Hemsworth's like, I could do this. And he there's this heroic speech about how he's going to come back with police and guns, lots of guns, big guns. <laughs> and he gets on the motorbike and he flies through the air and he's going to make it. And then bang, he comes up against this wall that nobody had seen and that is his heroic it's death. A, I think it's a force field. Yeah. He hits the force field and, and then he <laughs> keeps hitting it all the way down the gorge. He's like thunk, thunk, thunk. Yeah, and that's and Katie's like, it's my favourite bit, it's my favourite bit. But she has many favourite bits of this movie. Yeah, that bit and the moose bit and the <laughs> tequila is my lady bit and uh, the unicorn death. <laughs> death by stabbing by unicorn horn, that bit I love. I just, I love this movie. And it's so like, there's so many different kind of things to get out of it every time is one of the reasons. It has such good rewatchability for people who like horror movies and who yes. don't find it really uncomfortable to watch. It's so, yeah, for so people who don't get scared by the title coming up on the screen, like, <laughs> to be fair, that is one of the biggest jump scares in the movie because yeah. you don't expect it at all. I know. It's two minutes. I in. did. I did giggle when you jumped at that because I'm a bad person. There's the um the the door the, the the one only one that always gets me is the door coming open because I can never remember which exact moment that happens in the door because, coming open. Yeah, yeah. The, the the cellar door, which is actually straight out of Evil Dead. Oh yeah, that that it's it's very Evil Dead for the like this in terms of setup and the cellar thing. Yeah. There's a couple of um, direct references to Evil Dead. Like on the board, they talk about deadites and an evil molesting tree. Yeah, exactly. And even the um, the bit where they're having sex in the woods and she gets grabbed by the zombies, there's like visual kind of references to the tree rape in um, Evil Dead. Yeah, there's quite a few visual references as well. But um, yeah, I don't. That's that's the ones I know. Yeah, but the cellar door opening is actually shot exactly like the one in Evil Dead. Mm. It's shot like the where everybody's standing is the same as well. Oh, okay. Um, so the cellar door thunks open, but that's the only one that ever gets me because I can never remember exactly which moment it happens. I know it's after she makes out with the wolf, and that's it. Whereas the cabin in the woods title coming up, I always remember because it's like, are you even listening to me? And it comes up. Mm. And the one where he gets stabbed through the throat, because most of them are like ironic placements, right? Yeah. So when Hol- um, Holden gets stabbed through the throat, right before it, he's like, "You can't freak out on me because we're all we've got." Yeah. And then he gets stabbed through the throat. So like most of the jump scares I know, I remember when they happen now. Which so is they good because she jump. warned me about some of them. Yeah, I forgot that I forgot that you didn't know about the first one, the title one. Yeah, but, um, but the, I couldn't warn you about the cellar door one because, like I said, I can't ever remember. Yeah, when but that I also happens. knew the cellar door was happening in in the past year. I have watched Evil Dead. Yeah, I've seen a few of the classics. I've actually been sort of getting into it a bit lately. Mm. Um, so I watched, or like the last couple of years. So I've watched the Pinhead movie, which is called Hellraiser, which I didn't like. Mm. I really didn't like it. 
But Pinhead is directly referenced here as well, although they can't actually directly reference it because obviously it's owned by somebody. So they call him Fornicus, God of Pain and Death, Lord of Pain and Death, oh, or something. Oh, the, the guy, guy with, with the, the sores, fins coming out of his head. There's the buzz uh, circular swords oh, okay. that are yep. stuck into his head, right. which is supposed to reference the pins. And the way that you get him is by doing a puzzle box. And the way that you get pin that you get Pinhead to come is by doing a puzzle box. Oh. So that's the same thing. And then um, I've watched Halloween a few years ago, which was just brilliant. The original Friday uh, night. Nightmare on Elm Street. I haven't watched the original Friday the 13th yet, but I've watched the original Nightmare, Nightmare on Elm Street, which is really great. And there's another fun fact. Heather Langenkamp, who is the lead in the original Nightmare on Elm Street, yep. did makeup for Kevin in the Woods, <laughs> uh, which I think is neat. She does. She also did makeup on Star Trek. If horror does anything, it's provided a chance for makeup artists and creature people to really shine. Yeah, this has a lot, I mean, it had a lot of creature stuff for the grand, you know, big finale. There's a lot of creature stuff. There's CG, but there's also a lot of practical effects and like there's the, the doctors with the well, surgical masks and yeah. the guy with their his head on upside down, the creepy like mental patient type guy in the yeah. straight, like, and he kind yep. of crawls up to the thing. and Yeah, just... you don't actually, like even watching it on the small screen on Netflix where the quality of the stream can vary, there was no, you don't notice like. It's very seamless. There's not obvious CG. If there's a lot of practical stuff, I think um, the most obvious CG happens in the the scene where the elevator doors open and everything comes out. Mm. Then the snake does, has a few moments, and the werewolf has a, have a yeah. few moments of not looking the best. Yeah, um, the but the dragon bat is fantastic. The dragon bat. Yeah, the one that comes crashing in through the oh, window. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Into their yeah, they're where they're hiding. Yes. Yeah, with the separating three pronged mouth thing. Yeah. Well, you can tell the snake wasn't very good because I wasn't scared, and I am fucking terrified of snakes in real well, life. I think there are certain things that are scary, but not scary when they're made huge, because mm. it doesn't like it's not scary anymore because it's not realistic anymore. Yeah. I think with things like snakes and insects and spiders, mm. you have to keep them the same size for them to. S- still be well because that's part of the terrifying bit is the fact that they can hide so easily yeah Mm. well that's yeah that's one of the reasons why i don't find i mean i I don't find spiders scary but like i think that's so funny that you have a thing about bugs but spiders you don't bother you no but also the creature i'm not a fan of any of them the the insect creature with the sores on its legs doesn't Mm. bother me i just think it's cool but like real insects really bother me although then i can't watch starship troopers again so Oh, yeah. Because it has many giant bugs yeah. and many small I, bugs I and many bugs of all kinds. Watching that. That one and the, the bug scene in, like, these are the, these are the scariest things in the world to me. That and the bug scene in, um, in, um, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Yeah. And you know which bits scare me in Indiana Jones, obviously. Same bits that scare Indy. So, yeah, the things that, I mean, I also, like, get scared by real, facial distortions and things mm-hmm. um one of the things that scares me the most happens in the ring which you won't have seen no early in the movie there's this moment the ring this is the um, american one although the japanese one is quite scary as well because there's something about her and they in the japanese one they did this brilliant thing where they film she was a stage actress the girl who played um sadako the killer Right. And she had this idea that they should film her doing the actions forward and then play it backwards so she looks really like unnatural when she moves yeah it's really clever um and she has no fingernails and there's all these really like interesting creepy things they decided to do with her so she's very Mm. i mean she's a really effective monster yeah there's also this thing the slit-mouthed woman i don't know if i can watch it 
for I noticed like, actually in the um sorry in the cabin in the woods we actually see different teams around the world having to make their ritual sacrifices and we see the Japanese team doing a, someone who looks like the girl from the ring and there's this really cute bit where the schoolgirls like warm her up and save her and make flowers anyway but I liked the whole now Kiko spirit will live in the happy frog forever yeah I like the whole idea of different horror around like just showing a little bit of the different kinds of horror around the world and what different people what different cultures are into yeah that's really fun, yeah. I think. And Japanese does uh, – Japan does some good horror, but there's this – yeah, the slit-mouthed woman stuff. Yeah. Like, I've, I've looked at pictures on the internet and I don't I, – I'm not going to be able to watch that. Like, that, to me, is really scary. I've never even heard of that. Like, in the in the ring, the main character is this girl's aunt, I get, I think, and the girl who originally watches the tape and dies with her friends. Right. And her mother says, I saw her face. And then we, like, jump cut to a shot of the girl in the cu- in the closet. She's hidden herself in the closet. And the mother opens the, the door and she her face drops down and it's, like, distorted, open-mouthed. Ooh. And it's terrifying to me. Still the scariest scene in a movie ever is the one in the Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, where... Bilbo's face changes into a monster when he sees the ring. Holy shit. I think there's certain things about like really scary facial distortions that freak me out. Yeah. Like the slip-mouthed woman and that shot in the ring. We were led to your mouth thing. Yeah, it could be. (laughs) Probably. In terms of horror movies, things that really work effectively are things where you look over your shoulder after you finished watching, Mm -hmm. you know, things where like the scary things are genuinely scary. Although some of them are really fun and clever without necessarily being terrifying. Mm. Um, I think horror gives people an opportunity to go for really crazy stuff. And a lot of the time that ends up with some really interesting, fun stuff. People can do really interesting things with various horror tropes and ideas. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, Horror gives people an opportunity, and the Babadook is a good example of that if you get to see it. It's really interesting, has a lot of interesting stuff about motherhood and... Yeah, intellectually, I really appreciate horror because it means you do get to work through a lot of these subconscious fears, particularly subconscious fears about women, because you get a lot of stuff about witches and vampires, which is, of course, female sexuality, which we talked about last week. But also about the female victims. Yeah. And well, that's right. And how we, how the the killing of the sluts and the saving of the virgin and real nasty, barely subconscious fears to work through. Yeah. Scream does that too, Mm. um, in a fairly effective way. Scream also has one of the best performances from Matthew Lillard in a movie. (laughs) He's so great in that movie. Like he's, he, he does well when he gets to uh, cut loose like that, I think. But yeah, I love Scream. No, Scream is, but Scream is more contained, I think. Scream operates more, like, within its own universe. Like, these are kids who watch horror movies but are living in one. Yeah. What we're doing here is people who are creating horror movies. They aren't making, like, they, they're not living not the in one. Thing. They're cre- having one created. Yeah. Without their consent. Yeah. And the, the nightmare, like, there's this line that, I, that sort of hit me this time around when Lynn and Truman are talking. Mm-hmm. Truman is the security guy who comes in and oh yeah, he's the one who's really like not doesn't belong at the um this sort of scareocracy. Give him a couple of years, mm-hmm. um, but he's also the excuse for everybody to tell him what goes on there. Yeah, Captain Exposition. Right. Yeah. So there's a conversation between Lynn and Truman, uh, Amy Acker and and him. They're talking about the nightmare monsters. Yep. And he says it's like something from a nightmare, and she goes, "No, that's the thing nightmares are from." 
Yeah. So this is like, I mean, it still works really well within its own universe. It doesn't cross the line into not working as its own universe, which some movies can do, which doesn't really work well, mm. unless it's something like Monty Python, which is specifically like skewering those sorts of ideas. Um. So this, it still works within its own universe, but that's one of those things where it's like talking about specifically, they are the ones who cause the nightmares. Mm. They create horror and that's part of... And through creating movies, we create people's nightmares, not the other way around. Yeah, exactly. Although, I mean, look at zombies, I mean, right? Like George A. I mean, they reflect our fears. Yeah. So they are kind of manifestations of our fears. Yeah, and the right monsters come along at the right times. And it's not just movies, of course. People's... People have been using storytelling to reflect their fears for as long as they've been people, right? Because mm. stories of witches and vampires and werewolves and dragons and all various other mythical creatures go back way before written word, filmed word, any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. But I think a lot of the common myths that we have now are sort of mm. representative of things that happen at certain times. Yeah, that's And right. the ones that last tend to be the ones that are representative of a fear that hasn't that continues to last in society, like unless vampirism, they can adapt. because it it vampire the vampire mythos never goes away because it's all about female sexuality, right? Mm. And so we've never come to we have not yet come to terms with that, and so right. vampire myths survive. And then there's like people who turn that around on its head, and we haven't yet come to terms with male terms with male violence either, which is why werewolf werewolves survive. Yeah. Although they do go in and out of fashion. But zombies particularly are something that have risen. Yes, and they've come come out of a – well, zombies – what, Romero is what, the 60s? They come out of that period? Late 60s, early 70s? Um, the period, It's a very big period of social change, if that is the case. The first zombie movie, though, I think the zombie mythology that we currently have yeah. comes out of Romero's, like – because I, I think movies set up a set of rules – Right. And unless you change the set of rules, most of the idea of zombies that we have, slow moving, risen from the dead, all that sort of stuff, um, if they bite you, you become infected. Anyway, Romero's from the 70s, by the way. So, okay. I, yeah. So that does make sense because the 70s is a period of significant social change and a yeah. lot of upheaval and violence and other kinds of stuff. So, so it makes a lot of sense. And it makes a lot of sense to fit in now when there's a whole lot of like – we're kind of contending with the end of capitalism and there's all this kind of the world is not, you know, it's not conforming to the old order and all these kind of things. There's also a fear of disease that's inherent in zombies that yeah. that is definitely very relevant at the moment, which is like, okay, so I watched World War Z recently. Yes. It has its own set of rules about zombies. Okay. But it sets them up in the first like 10 minutes, which is that zombies are fast and they will do anything to destroy. They, they, they will easily happily destroy themselves. They have no sort of bodily autonomy or like, uh, or not autonomy, but like concern about what happens to themselves. They're more they don't of a have collective. consciousness about their lives, their own individual lives. Yeah. yeah it's more that. about propagating the virus. Okay. So they like try to break into your car by bashing their head repeatedly into the glass and things like that. And that's right. how they kind of are so effective. Like if you watch that they take over is um Jerusalem by coming up the walls and like climbing up each other. Oh. So all of these zombies are dying underneath so that they can climb up each other to get over the wall. Mm. So they, they have no kind of... That's actually, uh, in addition to the whole thing about disease, that's a very interesting take on collectivism versus individualism. Yeah, and that is part of the yeah this social s side of zombies. Mm. And then the third rule is they turn somebody in 12 seconds. And they set all this up very, very quickly, 
right? Okay. Yep, yep. So once you've established the rules of your universe, you can do pretty much whatever you want within it as long as those rules are established. Yep, yep. I mean, even Twilight establishes its rules, even if there are stupid rules. So yeah, they were playing with this kind of... They play with those ideas ideas as well in this movie. Like, you know what the tropes of this are. Mm-hmm. It's kind of... Even if people who don't watch a lot of horror movies, we know what the tropes of the horror movie are. Yes. Yes, we do. Well, I mean, part of, part of the reason I don't watch horror movies is because I... Not just because I'm scared, but because I know what's going to happen. I don't... It's There's no surprise. There's nothing new. Girls who have sex get punished. And I'm not interested in that because that's not something that reflects my worldview in any way. Right. And so that's why movies like this are so great. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of other movies, by the way, which are, which are very different from that and which also play with the idea of that and subvert that idea and things like that. Mm. Genre movies are a great way for people to break in. So it's very popular for people who are trying to make their first movie or going to make a movie on the cheap. will often make a horror movie. So yeah, because a- you can do some really effective things without much money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Saw guys, um, they got Saw back off the back of like a short film where they had not much money and they put the girl in the chair mm. with the thing on her mouth. And they, they made the first Saw without very much money. Yeah. Uh, not just Saw, though. There's some other... Some other people who've, who've come – like, anyway, there's a bunch of people who've come up with, with horror. Yeah, it's interesting because the Saw movies – I actually have seen the first Saw movie and I think it's quite good. The first Saw movie works not just because it f- it reflects our fears but it has a genuinely interesting twist at the end. Yeah. Um, kind of falls apart a bit under scrutiny but it does have a really interesting twist at the end. It's really scary. And uh, I, I think the fact that it kind of kicked off this torture porn stuff is kind of sad because the original film wasn't really about that. Mm. It was it was not quite in that, and I think that that's apparent with both of the filmmakers from that coming out of it to do things like The Conjuring, and one of them is doing Fast and Furious. Yeah. But I think that is something that's kind of apparent that they weren't mm. trying to kick off torture porn. Yeah, and it, well, that's also one of those things where Australian movies, the very few Australian movies that are getting through at the moment are horror, like Wolf Creek and its sequel, because they've been able to discuss. For the first Wolf Creek, it just is like you know an interesting horror. The second one is all has all deals with all kinds of fears about the other and immigration and sort of some very particularly Australian things, but also like these universal horror themes. I'd love to watch the Wolf Creek movies. But, I mean, I've seen one Australian film in the last year and I think that was and The Babadook. And that was The Babadook. And that was good. Yeah, exactly. It was kick-started as well. Like, The Babadook was made for not very much money and its traction is gained through strength of performances and things. Yeah. Um, if you've got a really good performance, like – Sissy Spacek can carry. If you've got a really, really good lead, and I think that that comparison comes to mind with Babadook for reasons that you'll find out later. But Essie um, Davis in Babadook, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. But there's certain things where if you've got a really – and John Jarrett actually in Wolf Creek. Mm. If you've got a really good, solid performance in it, if you've got the tenacity to make it effective and you, you know what's good and you know what's scary, then you can make a horror movie for really cheap that can really break through. I think it's also something that Australians are very good at. Mm, We've well, made a lot of really good horror movies. Yeah. I mean, we live in a friggin' terrifying place. Like we live somewhere that is incredibly isolated and there's a whole lot of, there's a really violent undercurrent that probably comes from like the, the convict origins of the place, but is also but sort of manifests nowadays in this really macho culture that is very terrifying and violent. And I think that's this is the kind of place that makes good horror movies. Like we've got the right conditions yeah. to bring horror movies to life. What's that crocodile movie? I want to see that. Too. Oh, the one with that we went and saw with Quentin Tarantino. No, 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 the, the recent one. There was a recent ho- crocodile movie that uh, did quite well. I don't know. 
Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the other reasons. I think ditching the whole Ozploitation thing was kind of a mistake because that was... We did it really well. We did it really good well. At. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I, I want to say more about Captain in the Woods. Okay, we'll talk, talk we about Tay, whatever you have to say about Captain in the Woods. Um, I think also it's not just smart, it's fun to watch for me and for I'm sure other people who are horror fans. It's like there's so many things and it looks really good as well. It's really well put together and like funny and the actors do a really good job. I think particularly Fran Kranz, who is a from Dollhouse, is a – Joss Whedon staple is really, really good in this movie. He's a really good actor. Yep. Chris Hemsworth is actually pretty good in this mm. because there's, again, like everybody's got to try and play kind of a couple of levels, but he's also like, he's he's genuinely likable and sweet at the beginning, but you also really don't like him by the time he turns into the dumb jock. Mm. And uh, Kristen Connolly, who plays the lead, is good. Um, Anna Hutchison, I think, is also worthy of praise. She's Australian too. Really? Yep. I did um, not know that. See, Chris Hemsworth, you can tell by his accent. Yeah, his accent. He's, he's gotten better <laughs> since then. But well, yeah. I think he just has one of those voices that belongs to like a, an Australian man or English guys have them too, where it's, he's like this big booming voice. Yeah, Joel Edgerton does it too. Yeah, but that's he's got that big booming voice. Like, I mean, the thing is, it's it's no accident that in Thor he's playing English because it's just easier and it sounds more natural coming out of his mouth. Yeah. But, I mean, he still does a pretty good job. Oh, yeah, no, that, he's, I think. he's very likable. But she is so great because she's, like, sweet and just, like, the minute she comes on screen, you like her. She, You want to like her. The girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, she's when lovely. she first, she's so bubbly and sweet yeah, and lovely. Yeah, you, you're genuinely upset that the slutty girl has to die because she's well, awesome. She, but the other thing is she isn't remotely slutty. No. She has one boyfriend through the whole thing. Yeah. But then, like, And they, she's no more or less slutty than her, the, the friend who is the virgin. Yeah. Like, there's no, there's absolutely no difference between either of them. They're both just completely constructed. Yes, which well, is that's the whole the point. point. But also, like, the, she, they make her into that. So she dr- does the dance and she hits on Marty mm. and all of that sort of stuff. But that's constructed. Like, at the beginning, she's just this, like, yeah. she likes her boyfriend and she teases her friend and she's so cute with the whole, like, the hair thing. And she's like, I'm getting really nervous about it now. And and she's just so, like, you want to be friends with this girl. Yeah. I, I think that she's great. And then also the guys who are downstairs are brilliant, especially Bradley Whitford. I always like to see Bradley Whitford in anything. I think also there's a, it's paced really well. Yeah. The three-act structure. And like, it's only 90 minutes long as well. Yeah. But it's also the acts are so <laughs> defined that this is almost like three different movies, but it works seamlessly anyway. Yeah. But it is almost like three yeah, different there's, movies. There's getting them to the cabin and introducing the characters. There's the horror movie bit. And then there's the bit in the – what was I calling it again? Scareocracy. Scareocracy. Yeah. And there's the bit in the scareocracy. Yeah. And, and it's like there's these, these levels to the film mm. that are the levels of the places that we go to. So you're like upstairs and then the next level is the scareocracy. But then there's the even lower level where the old gods come up. And then even the very last line of the movie, which is the bit about like – I would have loved to see the old gods. And he was like, that would have been a cool weekend. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like every single sort of bit of it kind of, it's like a puzzle that all the pieces fit together and you get this picture that if you look, or like a mosaic, where you look really closely at it and you see all the individual little bits that are really interesting, but then you can also pull out to see the whole picture, which is really great mm. and looks cool. So I think, because you're always talking about how we see different things right so you see like big picture and i see details yeah and i think this is one of those movies where if you look even on the minuscule level it works really well 
So like all of my details that I love kind of work really well. But if, if you pull back to the big picture, it also looks great. To me, it's just one of the smartest movies that exists and I could watch it endlessly. And this is why it's one of my favorite movies of all time. And I, I like movies about movies. I like Singing in the Rain, which is about making a musical at the time when sound came in. And I like, I mean, there's been some terrible ones, but I liked the artist as well. Mm. I, I like to watch movies that are about- I like movies about movies. I just don't like horror movies. <laughs> So, yeah. Yeah, I understand that. But I also think, like, if you – I know it was something that didn't get a lot of traction, and I think part of that is the fact that it didn't come out the way it should have. And they could have promoted it. I don't understand how it – They could have made it like a big – you mean like a big Halloween release? No, it came out at the same year as The Avengers. Yeah. How they didn't go, this is the guy behind The Avengers with one of The Avengers in it. (laughs) Yeah. Come and see it is beyond me. I yeah, well, they could have just released it Halloween after the Avengers or something. Like, yeah, like how this didn't get more traction. But um, yeah, I, I feel like if you don't see the the way this is woven together mm. and all of the really, really interesting intricacies in it, you're an idiot. <laughs> okay, that was a bit harsh and I'm sure people will disagree with me. But I, I do feel like if you don't actually appreciate this movie for a quality movie, even if you don't particularly enjoy it, then you're an idiot. Right. Okay. I mean, I can appreciate that Fight Club is a quality movie and I hate it, so. Okay, fair enough. I don't even need to ask you what you're giving it, but, you know, I'll give you Five a stars. Three and a half from me. Um, All right. So you've been listening to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. If you would like to find us on Facebook, you can. We are Silver Screen Queens there. Um, we have a website where there will be show notes about things like Grand Guignol, and I'm sure I can find some horror movie stuff for you. The Tumblr will be cr- – oh, that's uh, silverscreenqueens.com. The Tumblr will be crazy this week, I promise. I have so much stuff from this movie. I've even made a few pick spams of my own. So you can find us at tumblr.silverscreenqueens.com. You can tweet at us and tell me how much of a jerk I am for calling you an idiot for not liking Cabin in the Woods. That's at screen underscore queens. And you can find my review of Dracula Untold and various other things, but not Cabin in the Woods because I only started the website last year. Um, You can find that at silverscreenqueen.wordpress.com. That's the one. Um, I can never remember my own address. (laughs) Uh, That's the one I always forget. There are other stuff I can remember. So, yeah. Uh, Thank you for listening and we will see you next week. Bye. (laughs) 